This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Tossing and turning, scrolling through your phone, staring at the ceiling, trying to force yourself to sleep. Insomnia is a doozy, and women are 40% more likely to develop it at some point in their lives than men. That's according to the Sleep Foundation. So what leads to insomnia and other conditions that, like restless leg syndrome or obstructed sleep apnea that get in the way of getting a full night's rest? Dr. James Hurtigan, who's the director of Rush University Medical's Sleep Disorders Service and Research Center, is here to explain. Welcome, doctor. Hello. Also with us is Dr. Monica Christmas. She's an OBGYN and is the director of University of Chicago Medicine's Center for Women's Integrated Health. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you for having me. We are also taking your calls. Tell us, do you have problems sleeping like me? (laughs) Tell us what it's like for you, though. Call us at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. So I'll start with you, Dr. Hurtigan. When, When studies look at sleep quality, Tell us what's being measured exactly. Is it how long we sleep or how deeply? Well, it's a mix of quality and quantity. Uh, we are a sleep-deprived population, but quality is equally important. And we look at the types of sleep uh, stages we get into, uh, how often uh, we get into those sleep stages, the depth of our sleep, and the frequency of awakening. So yeah. pretty, pretty detailed test. So what are some indicators then that that a person who has trouble sleeping is actually experiencing insomnia? Like, Give us the the technical definition then. Well, it is a clinical definition, not necessarily being in a laboratory for that. So it's symptoms of really difficulty initiating and maintaining sleep that typically are going on more than several months. Uh, It's usually more of a, a condition that occurs for three months or longer. And it can have more than 30 possible causes. So wow. it takes time to dissect that out. Wow, it's more more intricate than I thought. Uh, Dr. Christmas, let's bring you in here because uh, not getting enough sleep, it's more than just something that's incredibly annoying, right? It, it's got other serious health impacts. So can you explain? Yeah, you know, when we don't get enough sleep, um, we are tired the next day. It may impact our mood, our ability to function and our day-to-day activity, maybe impacting our personal and our professional life. But then also from a medical perspective, decreased sleep quality uh, is associated with increased cardiovascular disease, Mm. uh, metabolic syndrome, obesity. Uh, You know, so it's not just, yeah, a small annoyance. It really does impact not only our mental capacity, but physical capacity as well. And metabolic syndrome. Break that down. It's a combination of things. Obesity, diabetes, hypercholesterolemia, some cardiovascular disease in there. And, and, you know, in my line of work, when I'm dealing with helping menopausal women uh, get through that transition, um, it's a big big factor that, that, um, that they are battling against. Yeah, and we'll Mm -hmm. dig more into that in a a moment. Dr. Hurtigan, what are some common sleep conditions that is bringing patients to your center? Well, uh, often the complaints revolve around either I'm too sleepy or I can't sleep. So too sleepy could mean uh, you're just not getting enough sleep. Mm -hmm. You have a condition called sleep apnea um, and or restless legs, as you mentioned earlier, and not enough sleep could be related to uh, many things, uh, stress, uh, uh, 
many things that go on in our life, uh, as you'll probably get into menopausal or perimenopausal states. Um, there's also uh, things we get exposed to, stress, life events that affect our biological rhythm. Yeah. And restless leg syndrome. Let's make sure we're all on the same page about that. What does that look like? Yeah, those are symptoms uh, that we ask that really are kind of a, a, a an uncomfortable, maybe uh, painful or uh, pins and needles, creepy crawly feeling of our legs, calves, mm. uh, sometimes uh, uh, hands, uh, un- an uncontrollable sensation of needing to constantly move, difficulty sitting still, and it can manifest while we're sleeping also in a different way. Yeah. A reminder, we're taking your calls too. So tell us, what kind of impact does not getting enough sleep have on your life or maybe someone else that's in your household? Our number is 866-915-WBEZ. That is 866-915-WBEZ. Now let's shift and talk more about hormones. Uh, I'll continue with you for just a moment here, Dr. Herdigan. If you can just explain how hormones affect sleep. Well, think of our bodies as a symphony that always needs to be tuned and synchronized. So there's so many hormones that get released. Well, I'll talk with basic ones, insulin, uh, melatonin, cortisol, but there's there's many, many more that regulate both our wakefulness and our, our sleepiness and our ability to stay asleep at night. Yeah. Dr. Christmas, you specialize, as you mentioned, in treating menopause, right? So how do the changes that are happening to women's bodies during menopause affect their ability to sleep soundly? How do the two go together? Well, the truth is we don't know exactly why, right? Um, You know, know, there's something there. There is something there. You know, there there are estrogen receptors all over our bodies, and when our ovaries no longer make that hormone, we have perceptible symptoms. Um, But the reality is, is that not everybody has severe symptoms. Some people have very few symptoms. Some people have extremely debilitating symptoms and we really haven't figured out why that is and it can certainly impact sleep Um, what i see is many patients um, will say i fall asleep okay but i'm waking up numerous times throughout the night and we do know that slowly raising my hand yeah we know that that decreased estrogen level and many women will result in having vasomotor symptoms, hot flashes or night sweats, as we call them at night. Mm-hmm. And certainly somebody that's having frequent night sweats may be contributing to that, that frequent wakefulness. Mm. But independent of vasomotor symptoms, women are, are noting that they have decreased sleep quality, too. So it's not just the vasomotor symptoms, Mm. Um, you know, and it leads to, well, then how do we treat it? If it's just an estrogen issue, do we just give everybody hormone therapy and that should make them all better, right? But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I'm so curious to hear some more stories. So you mentioned you hear folks saying things like, I get to sleep just fine. That's not the problem. It's the fact that I just can't stop waking up several times in the middle of the night. What else do you hear? That, well, you know, I'm waking up multiple times a night, and I think it's multifactorial in terms of what is contributing them to them with that wake up. Some mm-hmm. of it is I'm waking up and I'm, I'm having a, a night sweat. And there's, um, you know, we know that with night sweats or vasomotor symptoms in general, there's a rise in heart rate. People may feel some palpitations, have some anxiety with that too. Oh, really? Right. And so there's some 
kind of doom or gloom sometimes that's associated with that. There's stress factors too. If I'm stressed, if I'm having some depression issues, if there are many things going on in my life, we just lived through a pandemic, so lots of us were under stress. Um, If I've got bladder issues, I'm getting up multiple times to go to the bathroom, right? Um, If I consume a lot of alcohol during the day, um, especially if I'm drinking an alcoholic beverage within four to five hours of falling asleep, that may impact it. So many different daily activities that impact yeah. How the rest of your night goes. Caffeine is a big one, right? Now, if That's you why I sleep, stay away from it. Right, but if you don't <laughs> sleep well, you need, some people say, well, I need something to keep me awake. So yeah. I'm drinking coffee or caffeinated tea or whatever my caffeine beverage of choice is. Mm. Um, but if we're drinking that caffeinated beverage within four to five hours of trying to go to sleep, it's just a self-defeating I see. cycle. If you're just tuning in, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We're talking about getting that precious shut-eye, mm-hmm. some conditions that get in the way of a good night's sleep, and why women are more likely to experience insomnia than men. Our guests are Dr. Monica Christmas, who's an OBGYN and director of the U Chicago Medicine Center on Women's Integrated Health, and Dr. James Hurtigan, who's director of the Sleep Disorders Service and Research Center at Rush. We're also taking your calls at 866 866- 915-WBEZ. Let's jump to the phone lines. Jamie's been waiting in Beverly. Hey, Jamie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Sure. What What's your issue with sleep, or are you having one? Well, I, I have a couple issues with sleep. Um, I have a hard time falling asleep when I need to. I'm a flight attendant, and uh-huh. I'm in my 60s, and I just it's my retirement career, so I've been doing it about seven years. I don't get enough sleep when I'm flying, and um, everybody knows how exhausting flying is. So when oh, I come yeah. home from trip, I oversleep. So I sleep, like my first two days, I sleep 12 to 14 hours a night, and then I'm back to normal. Um, I'm really worried about my brain health. My mother had Alzheimer's, so I try to... Uh, I try to get, I stop drinking caffeine at 3 p.m. And I'm just wondering if there's anything I can do or if it's worse for my brain mm-hmm. to um, sleep so much or if it's, I mean, it's yeah. the only thing I can put. Yeah, great questions, Jamie. Uh, yeah, that, that flight attendant shift, I, every time I hear about it, it sounds pretty rough. And I, I wonder how you folks adjust. Dr. Hurtigan, any any advice for oversleeping? Well, I think oversleeping is probably a compensation for what you've what you've been through the few days beforehand. And I think you bring up some great points that our sleep is driven by our biological rhythm, and you're going through multiple time zones, uh, and also uh, what you do during the day, how busy and exhausting uh, your day is in terms of drive to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's a harm in oversleeping, but it may cause a shift in your biological rhythm and then it makes it difficult to sleep the next few days after that because you might be in a different time zone. Mm -hmm. You know there's some research also doctor that shows that because women often sleep fewer consecutive hours throughout the night that they might compensate by taking naps. What can you tell us about that? Well I think naps are a great thing. There's some clinical studies that show naps can improve cardiovascular health, but of course, uh, how long the naps are, when you take them, will influence your ability to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. So earlier in the day, uh, and shorter, if uh, if possible, 30 minutes or less. I love, I love naps. I love the convenience of just kind of being able to go to sleep when the tiredness hits me. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And you're timing that with your biological rhythm, so you want to optimize that nap. 
at the exactly. right time of day. Exactly. Dr. Christmas, uh, let's talk about menstruation and pregnancy. I'm curious because uh, those are also major hormone fluctuations happening, right? Exactly. Does that impact sleep as well? Hormones absolutely impact our sleep, right? The fluctuation in hormone levels absolutely do. And so I, you know, I will get a lot, well, can you check my hormone levels? And it's really not useful, right? We're not, um, they, 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 there's not like a magic flow. number. There's not that a magic number that they should, they should be at 12 at. or, right. you know, okay. no. And the range for what's normal is extremely vast too. And it really fluctuates it when you're menstruating or in the reproductive phase of life. Um, those numbers are going to be um, fluctuating depending on whether or not you're in the follicular phase or, you know, the luteal phase of your cycle. Not that that's important for this conversation right now, but knowing that there's not necessarily a specific number. In menopause, the number is is, is zilch. The estro- uh, ovaries are not making estrogen and progesterone mm-hmm. anymore. And um, as I said in the beginning, Some people have lots of symptoms. Some people have very few symptoms. And so when we're treating the people with lots of symptoms, we're just managing until they feel that their quality of life is improved. Mm, Yeah. We've talked a lot about biological factors, Dr. Christmas. What about social factors? Let's hit on that real quick. I'm thinking about um, caregiving for babies, right, Um, and children or even family members. Talk about how that can possibly lead to lower quality of sleep. I mean, waking up a million times per night to feed. Yeah, it it really doesn't matter what the thing is that's contributing to your stress or your frequent night wakening, right? It could be that your newborn baby just hasn't, you know, doesn't sleep more than two to three hours a night. It could be that you are... Um, a, a nurse or a flight attendant or, you know, that, that has the, the night shift uh, or you work at a, you know, um, a, a store that, that requires you to have the night shift too. Um, you know, there's so many different things that will may be disruptors, right, that, that contribute to stress, anxiety, yeah. um, fatigue. You know what else too? When studying the, the prevalence of insomnia in women, the National Institutes of Health also cited the greater likelihood that women will be low-income earners, right? And so that plays into this lower quality of sleep that we're talking about, too. You know, as we said, it's multifactorial. And when we start to think about sleep, one of the things we're focusing on, too, is the actual sleep, but not the other things that, you know, our sleep hygiene that may be impacting that as well. But exercise is also really important. Mm, okay. And so we were having that conversation about naps, but I'll tell patients sometimes that, you know, because they'll say, well, I'm so tired that I cannot exercise. And lack of exercise and moving our bodies impacts our, or the lack of that impacts our sleep quality negatively as well. Mm. And so sometimes it's as you really need the nap or could you go outside and take a walk for 10 or 15 oh, but minutes? naps are so great though, doctor. It seems like it's so great sometimes. And Ugh. I'm not going to say that it isn't Crushing necessary. all my dreams here. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's not necessary. But there are times though where you actually may benefit more by just taking a quick walk or yeah. exercising, whatever that, that physical activity. It doesn't cost us anything, especially when the weather's beautiful. And it'll give you that same jolt that you're looking it for. It does. I hear you. It I does. hear you. I'm listening. I'm listening. And you may sleep better that night. Exactly, which is what we want in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Hurd again. Here's a, a question from a listener who called but couldn't remain on the line. This was Mary in Mill Creek. She's 71 years old. She's been diagnosed with restless leg syndrome and is taking uh, trazodone. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. But she says she's a vivid dreamer. Sometimes the dreams wake her up and they keep her up. So does chronic 
vivid dreaming impact sleep, doctor? Uh, yeah, certainly uh, vivid dreaming or nightmares, especially if they're troubling and if they have a persistent recurring theme to them can be troublesome. And that really is separate from the restless legs, although it perhaps could have a medication effect from the trazodone. You got that spot on with the pronunciation. So, okay. uh, so there's probably more uh, or several things going on. All right, we'll take a pause. We're talking with Dr. Monica Christmas, who's director of the University of Chicago Medicine Center for Women's Integrated Health, and Dr. James Hurdigan, who's director of the Sleep Disorder Service Research Center at Rush. And we're back now with more Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We have been talking about what contributes to sleep conditions and how not getting enough rest can impact our health. Now we're going to talk about ways of improving your sleep. Still with us, Dr. Monica Christmas, Director of the University of Chicago Medicine Center for Women's Integrated Health, and Dr. James Hurdigan, who's Director of the Sleep Disorders Service and Research Center at Rush. We still want to hear from you. Tell us what strategies have you tried to fall asleep faster or to sleep longer or more deeply? Or what questions do you have about getting more sleep? Our number is 866-915-WBEZ. Now, before we dig more into ways of coping with this and improving sleep, Dr. Hurdigan, I do want to touch on something. Men also have hormones that fluctuate as they age. Can you tell us a bit more about what the research says about how that can affect the quality of sleep that men are getting? Uh, sure, absolutely. And I, I think, um, there, as you point out, there are differences. Men... Um, you know, tend to have a greater degree of sleep apnea and uh, lose a little bit more slow wave or deep sleep as they age. And both of those can uh, disturb sleep and create kind of an unrestorative uh, feeling in the morning. Uh, So there are ways to try to obviously reverse uh, uh, or eliminate sleep apnea, but also there are ways to improve our depth uh, or slow wave sleep uh, as we age. Like what? Well, uh, uh, these may sound very simple, common sense things, but um, the activity level, the light uh, that we get, especially morning, and the depth of activity that we have during the day, along with the relaxation techniques that we might be able to do at night to wind down, all help improve our quality of sleep and depth of sleep. So the busier you are, uh, the less stress you're in, um, the timing of our meals, uh, the avoidance of caffeine or alcohol uh, close to bedtime, and usually the rule of thumb is caffeine uh, before noon and alcohol at least uh, two to three hours before bedtime. An ounce of alcohol takes about an hour to metabolize in our body. Yeah. So those are things to avoid. What's your top advice for patients, Dr. Christmas, who are having trouble sleeping? Are there certain steps that you tell them, start here? I, I always ask, too, are you working from home? You know, coming out of yeah. a pandemic, many people are still working from home. They haven't returned back to an office. And the fatigue of just sitting, especially if you're by yourself all day, too, um, in front of a screen, um, is fatiguing too. And so talking about what are, or, or discussing ways that they can get back out into the world. Are you exercising? Are you 
going out with friends? Have you started going back to church? Are you doing the activities that you did before, especially if you didn't work from home before? That's a huge change. So I think even if they're not napping all day, but you're sedentary all day, that makes a big difference. And if you're sedentary all day, you've probably gained some weight. (laughs) And so weight gain and obesity can be a factor in how well you sleep. So there leads into the discussion of how can we – do healthy lifestyle modifications, whether it be being meticulous about what we choose to fuel our bodies with um, and being very uh, intentional about how we move our bodies and how much. I wonder if this will be some of the same advice. We had another listener, Marcella in Uptown, had called and, and left this question. She said, to your point, work is crazy. Family life is crazy. I feel exhausted all the time, but I have the hardest time falling asleep. When I do, similar to our previous caller, she said, I have the most intense vivid dreams, and then I just don't feel rested. What can I do? It's anxiety, right? And so talking to somebody about that, there's lots of cognitive behavioral therapy techniques or mindfulness, Um, even doing yoga, or you can get a simple... Um, you know, uh, apps on your phone to Mm -hmm. help with uh, meditation, that doing things to help calm your central nervous system down are really going to be extremely helpful in terms of calming your mind, sleeping with a notepad by the bedside. And when those intrusive thoughts come up, writing them down so that you don't forget it the next day. Maybe it's something that you've forgotten to do. And if you don't write it down, in the back of our minds, we're thinking about those things. That's a great tip. How many people fall asleep with music or the television on? You know, when when we are asleep, our minds are still processing and hearing that noise in the background. It could be we live on a busy block and we hear the ambulance go by, you know, or people at the bus stop, et cetera. But really trying to have a very quiet place that we sleep, using the bedroom just for sleeping or sexual activity, um, not watching uh, television in the bed. When we wake up at night, trying to just will ourselves to go back to sleep, not picking up a phone or device because the lighting in that device is going to wake wake us up even more. So true. Before we run out of time, I want to check in with you both here. Um, You know, Dr. Christmas, when we talk about a person beginning to menstruate, right, which is which is what you you specialize in, as, as you described, hormones change a lot that could lead to troubled sleeping. How do you address it with younger patients? With younger patients, interestingly, you probably think about it from when you were that age. When we think about teenagers, um, you know, they sleep a lot. They require more sleep. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, they are they fall asleep and stay asleep till noon or one, and we're knocking on their door. So the hormonal changes um, for them. Are, are, are somewhat opposite of what we face at the end of the reproductive spectrum. Um, if you have a young person, though, that is having difficulty sleeping, yeah. then we really do want to look at well, what are extenuating circumstances. Is there some underlying health issue? Mm-hmm. Is there extreme anxiety or depression? Is there substance abuse? Is that, you know, a, a whole gamut of things. I'm not else. saying it's one, but it may be some other factors that are that that need yeah. to be looked into and tell us the latest on treating uh, hot flashes right now because treating it with hormonal replacement therapy that's been controversial as we know in the in the past it is becoming more common though so i i know that it's used to even address insomnia is that right well the the using hormone replacement therapy for people that are having bothersome to se- moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms 
um, someone that's having uh, genital urinary symptoms, vaginal dryness that may be impacting um, intercourse. It's making it painful. Mm-hmm. There's some urinary symptoms that also happen after menopause that hormone therapy could address. Somebody that goes through early menopause, earlier than the age of 40, should be placed on hormone therapy unless there's severe contraindications. And then using it to minimize the risk of osteoporosis. Outside of that, just if somebody has insomnia and they're menopausal, hormone therapy is not an indication for that. I see. But if they're having night sweats that are waking them multiple times at night, treating those underlying vasomotor symptoms may actually help improve their sleep. Good to know. Leave us with this, Dr. Hurtigan. I mean, where would you say that more research is needed to figure out how to better address this issue overall? I think Dr. Hurtigan has dropped. I'll leave you with that question, Dr. Christmas. So where would you say that we need more research in trying to figure out how to better address insomnia? And especially, uh, as we talked about here this hour, it's happening more to women than men. Right, especially in women, um, you know, doing more research that looks at, uh, one, what is important to women? What do they want to know about that? What the questions are that women have about menopause? But then having more robust studies that look at the treatment and impact and how that impacts sleep quality. Yeah. We'll leave it there. Dr. Monica Christmas is director of the University of Chicago Medicine Center for Women's Integrated Health. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.